Hey everybody, this is Rafe Kelsch, film critic, and Drew is not with me today. Uh, we have not gotten a chance to record in a while, as you probably have noticed, but we have not given up things. We, we actually have a solid plan for getting episodes out in the future. Uh, it's just a matter of finagling schedules and calendars, most of which has been completely and totally my fault. So if you want to be upset with anybody about the episodes not coming out, uh, that's on me. Uh, it is Oscar season, and every year I do a Oscar predictions episode on my other podcast, uh, which is the only thing that I've recorded on my other podcast in over a year. Uh, but we managed to get the panel together to discuss the Oscars this year, and I thought I would throw that up on this feed as well, so that those of you who are awaiting new content can hear something. Uh, I will warn you that my other podcast does keep an explicit language tag up, and uh, several of the guests do use a little profanity here and there in, in this episode. So if that's something that you're bothered by, I would not continue listening. Uh, and Drew is not present in the episode. Uh, our, our friend Mel, who Drew introduced me to uh, and used to play with us, uh, is part of the panel, along with uh, friends of mine Thomas Mariani and Emily Slade. And we sit down and talk about who we think will win in the major category. So if that sounds like your cup of tea, this episode is here for you to listen to. If not, we will be back in just about two weeks, as Drew says, uh, with our intermission, our long overdue intermission on Ocean's Eleven, our next movie pick, and more. It is Oscar time, and that means it is time for us to be making our Oscar picks. So joining me from around the world, my esteemed panel of uh, movie fans and prognosticators. Uh, I am Rafe Telsch from the Never Say Die and Have Not Seen This Podcast. And joining me is Thomas from Cinema to the Letter. Hey, Thomas. Hello, Rafe. You know, I'm so glad to be here. You know, what a wonderful night or very early morning for Oscars. <laughs> Uh, Emily from the Why This Film slash In a Barbie World podcast, especially uh, appropriate this year, I guess, Emily. So appropriate. No, <laughs> no spoilers, but yeah, a <laughs> little bit of a spoiler there. <laughs> and uh, Mel from Tangent1985 YouTube channel. Hey, Mel. Hello, everyone. Uh, I just saw Dune Part 2 last night, so I'm going to have difficulty focusing on anything we're discussing here today. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and as usual, we gather around and we make our picks about who we think will win the Oscars. We laugh. Uh, if we're really lucky, Emily cries. And uh, <laughs> still, still one of my favorite moments of doing this is a couple of years ago when Promising Young Woman was up and Emily got so passionate about that movie. Um, I, I, I'm a little disappointed uh, that we don't have an Emerald Fennell film to talk about this year, Emily. I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> All right. So before we get into our actual picks, we usually do a, hit a couple of discussion questions. First up, I had heard uh, NPR's Pop Culture Happy Hour podcast did their kind of take on the nominees when they were first announced. And I found it really interesting that Glenn Weldon had made the observation that Oscars cannot be about the actual best picture or best performance or that kind of stuff because art is subjective. There is no best. And we prove that every year when we record this because we have different takes on what we think is the best anyway. And his argument was the point of the Oscars, he called it the film industry's marketing tool for itself. And really the point of the Oscars is to elevate films that might be passed over, put them into the spotlight, direct the conversation towards them. My favorite part, him talking about the fact that Leonardo DiCaprio didn't get nominated and he was like, Leo will be fine. Leo doesn't need the spotlight, but here are actors who do. So with that in mind, what film 
or films, Mel will try to limit this to no more than two. <laughs> I saw <laughs> that in the notes. <laughs> do you think benefited from Oscar attention this year? And Thomas, we'll start with you. You know, I'm so glad that small little films that didn't get a huge theatrical run like Oppenheimer and Barbie really got more of a spotlight here <laughs> with the Oscars, truly. Not enough people saw them. It's a shame. Um, but, I mean, honestly, I think, like, two that really uh, really shine for me are, like, Anatomy of a Fall and Zone of Interest. Mm-hmm. I think both of those were, like, films, especially I heard, like, from normies who don't obsess over this stuff actually talking about these, you know, like, foreign films, especially very, you know, hard films like Zone of Interest in particular, like, that would not get a major audience otherwise. Um, I- I'm really glad at least those two got a huge spotlight. Okay. Emily, what about uh, what about you? What do you think uh, got pushed in that you appreciate? Yeah, I echo Thomas the sort of it's nice when the internationals get a bit of a spotlight. Um I think The Boy and the Heron had a much longer cinematic release than it would have done if it hadn't been up for an Oscar. And personally, I think May December would have passed me by and I am obsessed with it. I love it so much. Yeah, definitely. Mel, how about your opinion on this? Uh, I'm very much of the same mind as both Tom and Emily. Uh, Zone of Interest, especially, was one of those movies where I had only heard about it in passing, just like here and there, someone would say the name. And 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 then it, like, it went quiet for a few months there where I was just like, I'm not hearing anything more about that movie. And I got to a point where I couldn't remember the name of it. And, and I just Googled. I was like, what's that movie coming out about Nazis? <laughs> but like, you don't see anything. You only hear what's going on. It's like people who live next door to a concentration camp. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad Zone of Interest uh, and, and Anatomy of a Fall, uh, certainly because I, the courtroom dramas, you don't, they don't get a lot. I mean, it's not the, it's not the mid nineties anymore. John Grisham's not running the show uh, for every single release. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's cool to see a courtroom drama, uh, especially international courtroom drama, uh, get some, some airplay, some real airplay. Yeah, agreed. You might want to clear your search history, though, Mel. <laughs> uh, for me, May December was definitely a movie that I probably would never have watched, uh, and I definitely think it getting an Oscar nomination, you know, pushed it onto my radar. And the one that I'm a little surprised none of you mentioned, American Fiction, is another one that probably would mm-hmm. have passed me by, but because it got Oscar nominations, I, I gave it a shot and really enjoyed it. But I, I don't disagree with any of the other ones you guys have mentioned, though, as well. I'm sure we will talk more about many of these movies a little later. So as always, there were some nominations that didn't happen, that people were expecting, we didn't get. Um, the most obvious of the snubs that were mentioned really heavily the day of the nominee nominations were uh, Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig for leading actress and director of Barbie not getting nominations. But one of the counter arguments I heard this year that I've never really heard before was if you if you want them to be nominated, who didn't get nominated? You know, like wh- where did that nomination fit in? And, and I think that's a, a valid counter argument because I look at this year's nominees and it's a very strong field. There are very few things that I don't think belongs here. There's definitely one, but <laughs> um, so my question is, what do you think got snubbed this year? And what would you have taken out in order to make room for them? And Emily, we will start with you on this one. It's no secret my entire year was dedicated to the cult of Barbie. And (laughs) I will save all of my monologues and opinions till the end. So to answer your question, I I do think Greta was genuinely snubbed. Mm -hmm. um, And I I perhaps controversially would have taken out uh, Scorsese to put her in. Oh, (laughs) shots fired. (laughs) (laughs) 
this is the energy we're coming into this recording with like strap in folks <laughs> i love it i don't disagree uh but i w- didn't think of it <laughs> <laughs> like we everyone knows come on like let's give let's give her her specifically like more of a chance definitely take out scorsese i think margot um I do think she deserved a nomination for this performance. Uh, so I would actually personally remove Carrie Mulligan from Maestro. As much as I love Carrie Mulligan, that was my exact thought of that's yeah. where that nomination goes in. That's where that could have gone. However, I do think that there is something to be said of how obviously it made a billion dollars. They didn't need the nominations to loop back to your first point. And I think that, oh, one more, I would remove Robert De Niro and put in Charles Melton for made yes. a Yes. There. Uh, <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. Sorry. 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 Um, God, I was going to call it Perks of a Wallflower then. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the flower moon. I'm sorry. Um, no- nothing personal. Just, yeah, get out. So you can make room for other things. All bit. right, Mel, you're next. <laughs> um, my my takes are not nearly as scorching hot as Emily. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, I'm I'm gonna go down on the on the like the tier a little bit for best cinematography. You guys know I'm okay. Maestro, Maestro is I'm sorry. Maestro is the mank of this year. And no thanks. Uh, just I'm not buying whatever it's selling. Uh, I would have kicked Maestro out uh, for best cinematography, and I would have given it to the color purple uh, okay. because that's that's the same guy that did John Wick two and three and Brotherhood of the Wolf. I mean, great, great stuff, and it's a gorgeous movie, frame for frame, just a beautiful movie. Um, the other the other snub, All of Us Strangers, mm. deserved a best picture nomination. Uh, I felt. And I would have kicked Maestro out for that as well. I don't know that one off the top of my head. Okay. Oh, that's so good. That's Paul. I'm going to mispronounce his last name. Somebody keep me honest. Uh, Paul Hike. Is that? It's Andrew. Andrew. Wow. I I butchered that. (laughs) (laughs) But yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So good. Uh, That's the same director from Weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Yeah. Fantastic. Highly recommended. If you have not seen it, get there. Please. Okay. Thomas. Um, I do echo a lot of the maestro uh, ousting. I mean, I would probably put, you know, replace some of those, uh, like we were mentioning, kind of like best picture or best actor, like one that I really love, and I'm a freak, so this is like tangential, uh, uh, Bo is Afraid. I think Walking Phoenix and Bo is Afraid is like one of the most, like literally and figuratively naked performances of this year um, that I would probably put in there. Also, Asteroid City would mm. I probably put in for like director and picture over that. And also another Netflix one that we aren't haven't talked about, but get Nyad out of there. I love Jody. Oh. I love Annette, but Nyad is like such like mom bait bullshit to me, <laughs> quite frankly. <laughs> I, and I'd probably I put Nyad. like <laughs> I I, w- I think those slots would much be better deserved for like May December. Speaking of Netflix, for like Portman or more, or even a movie that got completely snubbed. I think unfairly Priscilla. Like, Haley Spain, mm-hmm. I think, deserves a Best Actress one far more than Benning. Look, I'm, I'm excited to see Warren Beatty as her arm candy, kind of, like, drifting along with her <laughs> every time she's nominated. But, yeah, I think those those two Netflix ones in particular, Nyad and Maestro, I think you can 
Alice Talat, or even, you know, another actress one, uh, a movie that was nominated, one of my, probably my favorite of the nominees, Past Lives. Oh. Uh, mm-hmm. Deserved a fucking best actress. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I went out of order. I was supposed to go before you. Um, yeah, I, I, I you actually mentioned some of the movies I was surprised not to get any nominations. Asteroid City. I mean, it, it's kind of rare that we get a Wes Anderson film that doesn't get some sort of Oscar attention. Um, I kind of expected Saltburn to show up somewhere, mm-hmm. uh, that it didn't get a nomination. Uh, Julianne Moore uh, for actress uh, was definitely the one that I'm like, yeah, I feel like that the fact that she didn't get nominated is kind of a testimony to how strong I think the performances are. Because I, I wouldn't take somebody out of supporting actress for her, but I think she should have gotten, she could have gotten a nomination. The more I think about it, the more I like the Greta Gerwig in lieu of Scorsese. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and totally agree. This is Italian slander. I'm sorry, I can't, I can't go by what's happening. <laughs> totally, totally agree with the maestro comments. In fact, my biggest disappointment about missing last year due to health issues is I didn't get to argue with all of you about what a terrible movie Tar is. But, but this year, but this year I get to argue about what a terrible movie about a composer is. So. <laughs> Oh, I would have enjoyed that argument. I quite <laughs> like Tar. Yeah. Uh, I, I was I was very into Tar. All right. As usual, for our actual picks, we're going to focus on our primary categories most people are aware of. A- acting, writing, direction, best picture, best animated picture. But as always, I want to give you a chance to talk about any of the more technical categories we aren't spending time on. Uh, so music, visual effects, costume, sound, etc. So any comments or predictions you specifically want to point out for any topics we aren't uh, planning on prognosticating on. Uh, Mel, we'll start with you. Uh, yeah, um, I've got to give a shout out to Zone of Interest for mm-hmm. sound design. Absolutely. Uh, mm-hmm. he, okay, I watch everything uh, well, at home, obviously not in the theater, but I watch everything with the subtitles on uh, or the captions on because as a writer, I don't ever want to miss a word. And the way a lot of movies are mixed these days, it's too easy. But Zone of Interest is one of those films where like, I'm actually terrified to watch that at home with the captions on because the the one of the reasons that movie works so well is while you're in the theater, you're hearing all these things that are going on and your mind kind of plays tricks on you. And you're like, is that, is what I'm hearing what I think it is? Mm-hmm. Or is that, is that just machinery? Is that just, like, I'm terrified about what the captions are going to say on screen whenever I actually go to watch that at home. Uh, yeah, the sound work done on that is like, it's like nothing I've really experienced before and just really stays with you like long after the movie is over. Um, the other shout out I want to give is for visual effects to the creator, uh, which I I thought was absolutely gorgeous. That's that's the the people have been trying for years, but that's the closest to a live action anime that that I have seen. It's closer than the Matrix. It's closer than Ghost of the Shell, the live action. It's I feel like people have been trying to nail that. And the creator really just is like, here it is manga to screen. Uh, and it is, I, I think it's, I think it's seamless. Yeah. I, creator is one of those I have not gotten to watch yet. So, um, I will, I'll take your word for it. It's still on my, my short list, but I just haven't gotten to it for me. Uh, you, you hit it right there with zone of interest and sound. I mean, I don't know how it doesn't walk away with that award. Uh, it is an amazing sound mix. 
But I'm also going to mention, and I've mentioned this in the past, one of the things I hate about the best song category is how often the song nominees are end credit songs. They're not mm-hmm. actually germane to the movie itself. They're something that's plugged in over the end credits. So I'm kind of stoked that just I'm just Ken got nominated. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, they People joked that at the Golden Globes, uh, you, you could see his face die a little when he realized he was going to have to perform the song at the Oscars, too. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I'm really excited about that one. So that's that's just me. Uh, Thomas. Well, yeah, the, to piggyback on best song, it is weird that I think Billie Eilish is going to win for the What Was I Made For? And I feel so unaccomplished that she's going to have two Oscars before she's 25. <laughs> yeah. That's insane to me. Um, but great for her. That's a great song in that movie. But I mean, besides that, in terms of visual effects... I gotta rep my boy Godzilla. Yeah. Godzilla minus oh, one. Yes. I think that's the one it deserves. I hope it wins that. I, I think it's a, some of the best like visualization of Godzilla post the suit era. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen as a big Godzilla fan. Um, also, I think Wes Anderson is going to win his first Oscar for a short, which feels weird to me, especially mm-hmm. this late in the game. But I think that's probably going to happen because of the Netflix uh, Roald Dahl shorts, which were great, particularly the Henry Sugar one. Um, and I also just want to shout out, because I recently saw it, uh, Perfect Days for International Film. Oh. Amazing movie. Oh, so the good. The vendors uh, did such a great job with it. I hope that's the win. But uh, yeah, those are the ones I really wanted to shout out. Besides also, you guys mentioned Zone of Interest or Sound. I completely echo that. Right. Definitely needs to win that. All right. And Emily? Barbie should win costume. I know it will probably go to poor things, but just the detail in creating the outfits not only for the film but also for the press tours and everything that goes into it and I know that there's going to be arguments around you know how much attention that the movie had does it really need the additional attention of the Oscars but again we'll go into that um I also think it should have been up for hair makeup and hairstyling and and it wasn't so um, I'm glad that that was a, a snub. But um, poor things costumes, don't get me wrong, like absolutely gorgeous um, and well-deserved. But I would I would love to see Barbie take it this year. Fantastic. All right. So that brings us to our actual predictions. We'll go through these major categories. Uh, we will tell you who we think should win. Sometimes we will tell you who we think will win because we all know that it is not just about the merit of the artist. Uh, sometimes it is politics. Sometimes it is uh, a lifetime achievement award. Uh, so, you know, we, we can talk about that. What we try to do is focus on one or two, Mel, of the <laughs> nominees. Guilty. And, not, <laughs> and that will last approximately two rounds before Mel starts talking about every single one that's nominated in the category. <laughs> I promise to do better this year, just simply because I didn't write down all the alternatives. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so we start with the writing categories. First up is writing adapted screenplay. Uh, we didn't talk about the fact that one of these nominees for adapted screenplay is one of the weirdest choices ever, but the nominees are American Fiction, Cord Jefferson, Barbie, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach, Oppenheimer, Christopher Nolan, Poor Things, Tony McNamara, and The Zone of Interest, Jonathan Glazer. Uh, how Barbie is a <laughs> adapted thing is beyond me. Uh, I go first this time, and Barbie is actually my pick to win this because I don't think it, it gets much other opportunity to win. I can see where Poor Things uh, could also go. It's kind of funny. I just finally got to see Poor Things last night. My take nice. on the Barbie movie was that it was kind of like a... Um, 
drug trip mixed with a fever dream mixed with a four-year-old's play session and was the weirdest thing that I had ever seen on screen. And the fact that Greta Gerwig could bring that to life and make a cohesive movie was a miraculous act. And then I saw poor things that said, hold my beer. (laughs) 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 But I think Barbie, uh, this is, that's my pick to take this. Uh, Thomas. That Barbie Poor Things thing is very apt, given they're both weirdly very similar movies <laughs> in terms of like the trajectory of the main character. So true. Um, but uh, I mean, I think this is a solid lineup. Um, I think it'll probably go to Oppenheimer, and that's my personal pick. I think of nothing else because I think that movie gets underrated as a screenplay because I, what I love about Oppenheimer is that no one essentially like Trojan horses in a upsetting movie about nuclear holocaust within like one of his sort of big blockbusters, because the, the first, like, half or so of Oppenheimer is, like, almost a heist about, like, how do we create the nuclear bomb? Um, and it's very entertaining in the way that, like, the Nolan movies tend to be. And then that dread really builds up, particularly, I think, in that last hour or so, um, once, you know, kind of Robert Downey Jr. comes in as the hater of all haters <laughs> to mess with Robert. Um, but, I mean, I, I, I really am a big fan of that. But I think all these are really solid nominees. In fact, I just want to shout with American Fiction... I think my trouble with that movie is that it's a great script that I wish a first-time director didn't make because all the different, like, weaving in of, like, tones and, like, all these different character things I think would work better in the hands of, like, a more experienced director. But at the Mm -hmm. same time, I think Core Jefferson did such a great job with weaving the satire and also the family drama Mm -hmm. in there in a way that, on paper, I think feels pretty seamless. But still, my pick, and I think the one that'll win is Oppenheimer. Okay. Emily. I agree. I think Oppenheimer will win and I think it's 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 valid because I went into a three hour movie about the nuclear bomb expecting to hate it. I didn't engage in Barbenheimer. I really I literally watched Oppenheimer like two weeks ago and I loved it and it flew by. And I think that's a testament to the screenplay. I want it to go to Barbie, obviously. I think it's just a fantastic coming of age introduction to feminism for new audiences, young audiences, men, women alike. I just I think it's just it's funny. It's just so wonderful. I love it so much. I really want it to go to Barbie. Maybe again, hello, controversial, Emily. I feel, I have a lot of feelings about the zone of interest and I feel like it works as a written piece only when you juxtapose it to the visuals. Does that make sense? As a screenplay alone, Mm -hmm. I'm wondering what it's doing here is all I'll say. Interesting. Okay. I get what you're saying. And Mel. Yeah, probably Oppenheimer. Uh, check me on this if I'm wrong. So I, I saw this on Instagram. Is the is the screenplay for Oppenheimer written in first person? Yes. That's awesome. I love that. I, I think that's I, I, I've not I've not seen that before. <laughs> Has anyone ever seen that before? Has anyone ever done that? I, I think I think that alone uh, is is worthy of, of the nod, certainly. But I'm going to kind of go the red violin route. Uh, if anybody remembers that movie, uh, mm-hmm. that was that was up for best score that year. And I'm just like, yeah, give best score to the movie that's about music. Right. <laughs> so I feel like with uh, adapted screenplay, I feel like I want to give it to American fiction because it's a movie about writing. Plus, it's also got some of my favorite lines from this year in it. Uh, where, like Sterling K. Brown is having a cocktail at like 8.30 in the morning. And he's like, don't you have a flight in an hour? I'm not flying the fucking plane. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I love it. Uh, I really did love that script. All right, so what is your pick? I'm a little confused. Oh, sorry. Yeah, uh, I am going with American Fiction, honestly. I don't think it will win, but it's the one I want to win. I like that idea of, of playing it kind of meta. So, yeah, I, I like that. All right, next up is original screenplay for writing. Our nominees are uh, Anatomy of a Fall, screenplay by Justin Trier and Arthur Harari, The Holdovers, David Hemmingson, Maestro, Bradley Cooper and Josh Singer, May, December, uh, screenplay by Sammy Birch, story by Sammy Birch and Alex Mechanic, and Past Lives, uh, Celine Song. So, uh, Thomas... Who do you think is going to take it in this category? We should probably mention that like, while we're still on screenplays, it's so weird that the Writers Guild Awards aren't happening till April. So yeah. This one's a bit harder to like navigate. I know it's because of the strike, but right. also the SAG strike ended later and they still had the SAG Awards like right. a couple weeks ago. Broadcasted on Netflix for yeah. some odd reason. <laughs> Amazing. Wild. Yes, yes, for sure. But I mean, um, I think mostly a solid lineup here. I think... The favorite seems to be The Holdovers, which I don't necessarily blame. I think it is a very well-written screenplay. Um, but at the same time, I think, like, May-December is, like, a solid one that I wish, would hope get, I would hope it would have more traction. I don't know if it will. But my personal pick that I would want to win is Past Lives. I think truly one of the most, like, effective modern tales about, like, sort of not just, like, a romantic entanglement, but also even just with the main character, her issues with like separating from her culture and how this relationship kind of represents her looking not just at like a past friend but a path and potential love interest but also a past version of herself there's like so much like really great aching detail and a very sort of like simple story with that um so yeah, i would hope it would be past lives but i think it's going to go to the holdovers ultimately Okay. Uh, Emily? Anytime I try and pick something in this category, except for Maestro, which can get in the bin, I <laughs> honestly can't, I almost can't choose. I I want to mean girls it. I want to break the plastic crown up into pieces and give a piece to everything except Maestro because <laughs> they all completely deserve to be here for their own reasons. I think Anatomy of a Fall will take it. And I think that's understandable. I thought it was fantastic. Obviously, I've said I'm obsessed with May, December, but I am going to echo Thomas and hope it goes to past lives because I don't think past lives is going to get a look in in any other category. So I would love for it to get something because I didn't know what it was about when I sat down to watch it. It was the last one I ticked off my list and I was shifted, like my entire being slightly shifted after watching it. And I was like, oh, it's it's one of those movies that's just slightly changed my life. Okay, cool. I put a heart on that in Letterboxd. Nice. <laughs> Uh, all right, Mel. Uh, Emily is absolutely right. Uh, I had a similar experience with past lives. Uh, it's it's one of those movies where it feels like it was made just for you. And yeah, like it just it reached beyond like just several layers and got down deep somewhere where I was not expecting or anticipating it. Uh, I the the conversation between her her. Uh, it was her boyfriend or her husband at the time when they were already married. Uh, the the guy, the white guy uh, that she was dating. Forgive me, it's been like a year the since I've seen it. Poor man's Lin Manuel Miranda from season one of Umbrella Academy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, they have this. They have this fantastic conversation about how in any other story he would be the villain, and that's that's what makes it so challenging. Is that he has wronged no one. He has done nothing wrong, and it it's it's like with love triangles. I know this is not a technically a love triangle, but with love triangles, you're, they're always there's always one person who's clearly not the right choice, 
But with this one, it's just like, yeah, yeah, they they made it hard on you. Uh, like it's it's so easy to see where he's he's coming from. Uh, it's it's strange that in this movie, like this this one white guy stands out <laughs> like, like above everybody else uh, for for those couple of scenes. Um, but yeah, yeah, past lives is my pick. Yeah, past lives. I think my social media post after past lives was that it was going to take everything I could do not to start looking up ex girlfriends and ex wives and such after watching that movie. Uh, it definitely had an impact on me. But I am also going with Anatomy of a Fall. Um, I think the comments that were made earlier about you know how rare it is for us to get a courtroom drama of this caliber these days, uh, nonetheless one that is done in multiple languages, uh, which I loved. I, I loved that that fluidity of which they they moved through several different languages. Um, and one of the things that I absolutely love about it, I, I don't think it's really a spoiler to say that by the end of the movie, you still don't know. You know what the court decides, but you still, but the, they, they leave it up to you as an audience member to make your own decision about what really happened. And I love it when a film treats me as if I have some intelligence. Uh, and and I, I think that is, is one of the things that really made me love Anatomy of a Fall is I, I didn't feel like he was talking down to me at any point. It, it, it just trusted me to stay with the narrative and reach my own conclusions that were irrelevant to the overall narrative. So and I, I loved that about it. It was a also how it handles language. I think it's really effective. Oh, the various yeah. different languages, yeah. I love, we didn't mention it earlier, uh, I forgot to put it in our discussion points, but the fact that so many of our Best Picture nominations this year are, are subtitled movies. You know, we really have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, Anatomy of a Fall should have been a, a, a Best International Picture nominee anyway, except mm -hmm. for politics. Um, but the fact that we're now breaking out of that to the point that the Best International Film is almost becoming an irrelevant category because we're going ahead and getting them into Best Pictures. Mm -hmm. You know, we're getting are getting our past lives and our, our Anatomy of a Fall. Um, and I love that. Heck, Killers of the Flower Moon, you know? Yeah. All right, enough about that. Let's move on to animated feature film, the film that we always have to make sure Emily goes first on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> our nominees, uh, and this, this unfortunately is the category I am the least prepared for. I have not gotten to see some of the nominees uh, in this the way I have everything else. Uh, but our nominees are The Boy and the Heron, Elemental, Nimona, Robot Dreams, and Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And before I throw it to Emily, I just want to boo uh, the fact that Robot Dreams has still not had a, enough of a release. That I don't think any of us have seen it. No. I've seen the trailer. I, yeah, the trailer looks freaking incredible. <laughs> yeah. I want to see this movie. Let me see this movie. It's the total love-hate relationship I have with Neon, who distributes great movies but covets them. This happened right. a few years ago with, like, Worst Person in the World, too. We're just like, let me see yeah. it before the Oscars. Right, right. All right, Emily, who is going to take home Best Animated Feature Film? Oh, my goodness. Um, the Boy and the Heron, uh, hands down. Uh, don't get me wrong, I absolutely loved Nimona. I understand there was a history behind that where it was Disney's, and then Disney binned it, and somebody else took it over, and... And what they did, like Disney could never, I, I watched it and I, I thought the animation style was wonderful. The voice acting was really great and the story was so interesting and not really like anything I'd seen before. So a, a big shout out to that. Obviously, Spider-Man followed in its predecessor's footsteps and just did even more. It did everything a sequel should do, just the same again, but better and bigger and amazing. And I honestly was surprised with how much I enjoyed it coming off the back of reading lots of reviews where people were disappointed that it ended up being a secret part one. But it still felt like a cohesive 
three-act tale despite that. So I'm actually really excited for the next one to come out, which I didn't expect. Um, Elemental was sweet. Like, they're doing their best over there. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. It didn't, you know, I'm not, it didn't set my world alight, pun intended. But, like, <laughs> it's it's fine. The Boy and the Heron, I, I mean, Studio Ghibli got the award back in 2003, right, for Spirited Away, and they haven't had one since, and yet they have an archive of exceptional talent and it's about time it got rewarded especially because he's gonna die soon and this is this is where i'm gonna cry this movie is about grief and it's about people coming together and i I literally got dumped the day before i watched this movie Um. i went into the cinema and i did a i did three three movies that day and I kicked it off with with the boy and the heron and I'd just been dumped and I'm watching this tale about this like young boy and his like a family and it goes through grief and I was just it was like me and like nine children in the cinema screening and I was just bawling <laughs> my eyes out and that doesn't mean that it automatically should get the award but I'd like to think it counts for something <laughs> Yeah, I'm shocked at the the people who were um, upset about Spider Man being a a secret part one because that was announced. Like we we yeah. knew that we all it, <laughs> like, the original title was Across the Spider Verse Part One. So it's like what <laughs> what what are I, yeah. yeah. All right, uh, Mel. Sorry. Um, man, I I cannot top Emily's story at all. <laughs> so I'm not even going to try. Um, I really, I, I did enjoy The Boy and the Heron. Uh, I'm not trying to take any steam away from it at all. But um, my boy, Across the Spider-Verse, I, I gotta get... And that's that's gonna be wild, because the first one uh, won Best Animated, uh, didn't it? Uh, yes. So much, again, check me. Uh, but yeah, I here here's why that works for me. It came out around the same time as The Flash, which... Uh, and both those movies take complete opposite approaches to the same subject matter. Uh, the Flash basically saying that in order to be a hero, your past must be filled with trauma. Uh, but Spider-Verse says the opposite. Uh, it says that you that doesn't have to be your story. Uh, just the whole... What's the term I want to use? Uh, the subtext uh, of Miles Morales as just more more than a character but just just this anomaly this person who's not welcome into this kind of clique for lack of a better term uh but who who rejects it and carves out their own place in it uh and they're still worthy of it it says so much about that character uh and about minority readership in the comics industry uh lgbt readership in uh, uh, playership in the gaming industry, uh, women in in gaming, just it it speaks to everyone who's been pushed to the to the to the curb on all these kind of areas in media that are gate kept. It's yeah, it's it, another one that just speaks directly to me and my experience. Uh, so yeah, and I did know that it was there was going to be another one after that. Uh, it's it's hard too because I that's. It's hard to rate that movie because that's a movie without a beginning and without an ending, technically. Right. Uh, but kind of like Two Towers territory, uh, and that's that's a hard one to make. A movie without a beginning and the, without an ending is a really hard one to pull off, and I think they did it in spades. I, I once had a college professor talk about how um, 
the the middle chapter in a trilogy always has the hardest job because it already has everything set up for it, but you don't get to know whether it worked until you see the third chapter to get the payoff. And so you get like two towers. Well, <laughs> Return of the King totally nails the dismount there. But then mm-hmm. you get like the Pirates of the Caribbean trilogy where mm-hmm. five minutes into the third film, they've pretty much removed everything that happened in the second film and what a waste it was. So mm-hmm. um, I, as I said, I have not gotten to see... I didn't get to see Boy and the Heron, uh, much to my disappointment. Elemental, uh, I think it says something about the fact that it is a Disney film that I've still not seen, and it's been on Disney Plus for months. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just didn't appeal to me. It hasn't had enough of a draw. Uh, the four-year-old in my household uh, has not watched it all the way through yet, uh, <laughs> so it hasn't held her attention. And as I said, Robot Dreams hasn't had a release, but Nimona, I really dug that film. Like, that, to me... That provided the feeling that I want from a from a Disney animated film, and it's not a Disney film. But Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, um, you know, I mean, I love the fact that the first movie had these different visual styles for the different characters and the different realities, and we dial that up to 11 here. Uh, and just the, the, the one of the scenes with Gwen and the watercolor background and the, the paint literally running down the screen as you're watching it, uh, just that just captured my heart with that film. And I, I, I think it's got to take the Oscar. Um, I, I am, although now I'm a little appalled, Emily, I did not realize that uh, Studio Ghibli hadn't won an Oscar since Spirited Away. I, 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 sure. as, as Mel said, check it. And I just did. And you were right. So it was like, <laughs> oh my gosh. And, and again, I haven't seen Boy in the Heron, so it, it may be a very deserving film. Um, mm-hmm. But for me, it's going to be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Thomas. Yeah, Spider-Verse is a really hard movie to make, especially when you put such a crunch on the animators. Oh, roasted. Uh, We're not supposed anyway. to talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> and also, Beyond the Spider-Verse is totally coming out this year, even though they hadn't done any work on it yet. <laughs> right, it's off the schedule only because they're just fixing some things. They'll be right, back, don't right. worry. <laughs> right, don't worry. Um, but no, at the same time, yeah, Spider-Verse is so interesting for this past year where, like, we've seen basically what feels like the fall of the superhero movie. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to see this one really rise up and I think get a lot more attention and acclaim. And I think a lot of it deserved. I think it is a great movie. I still would say I preferred the first Spider-Verse. But, I mean, aside from Robot Dreams, which I haven't seen, I mean, it's, it is also weird, speaking of The Fall, like you were mentioning, Elemental being like the last ditch, last place in the category that was for so long the Pixar category. Right. Is fascinating as well. Um, but I think, yeah, at the same time, I think Spider-Verse is probably going to win it um, I also echo Emily that I think it should be the boy in the heron. If nothing else, for just being like an, a true expression of animation as a medium, where it's like feels so like kind of messy in the way of like this feels like you know the last effort from a great auteur, even though he claims he's still going to make another movie. I'm sure he's smoking cigarettes and drawing stuff <laughs> and saying anime was a mistake or whatever. But at the same time, he's gonna. <laughs> no, he'll uh, he'll he'll keep going with it as much as he can. I think the boy in the hair, particularly having seen both uh, the original language version and the English dub, I think it's so interesting how so little was lost in translation, and nothing else for like one of my favorite voiceover performances of the year is Robert Pattinson as the Heron going full like weird gremliny with his voice and shit. It's so good. <laughs> It's so Everybody great. Everybody expected but... him to come out the bat with this like Christian Bale as Hal from Hal's Moving Castle performance, and he was just like, "Hold my beer." Yeah, <laughs> right. And yeah. he's just like, "Hey, boy." <laughs> also, the guy that handed Christopher Nolan the book about Oppenheimer in the first place. So right. he's just 
crushing this award season and doesn't even really have anything to do with it. Love it. Or or has everything to do with it, but isn't getting any recognition. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So just to illustrate a point that we made very early on, we are now three categories in and we have not had a consensus on a single category yet. And that's that's what I love about film is that we – and I don't think any of us uh, have had a bad take. We just don't uh, necessarily all agree. So as we get into the acting category, it'll be interesting to see how this uh, holds. We'll start with actress in a supporting role. Our nominees are Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple, America Ferreira for Barbie, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and Davine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. And Mel, you are kicking us off on this category. Uh, I'm going to keep it short and sweet. Uh, <laughs> Davine Joy Randolph. I feel like she has very little screen time. I may be remembering it wrong. It feels like she's not in the movie that much. But if every time she's there, every time she's on screen, uh, she just she she just comes in swinging. Uh, it's that's that's an I, I, she she does so much with with I don't want to say so little because I feel like 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 that that's a that's a good role that's a good part. Uh, it's it's again that that one I like felt that mm-hmm. I I personally uh, just I don't know what that is I don't know if that's like having had family members in the armed services uh, or, or whatnot and losing people over the, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is, but yeah, it, it, it worked for me. Yeah. That is not, that is not a very articulate defense of her, <laughs> of her performance, but, but yeah, yeah. She's, she's the one I think about uh, at the end of the day. Yeah. I mean, her performance is amazing. Uh, I, I definitely will, will give you that. And I think all of these are the only one I have not seen the color purple yet, so I can't speak about Danielle Brooks. My problem with this category is, is kind of my problem with almost all the, the future categories, which is I saw Oppenheimer. Uh, I didn't get to do Barbenheimer because my schedule was too busy, but I saw Oppenheimer opening weekend uh, and have not gotten to revisit it since. So my memory of the movie has faded in a lot of ways. And thankfully, there's been some clips that I've seen here and there where I remember, oh, yeah. And I, I, that's I'm going with, as much as I love America Ferreira and Barbie, I, I'm going with Emily Blunt for this because I think her performance is really understated and beautiful in that regard. And I, I know she's the nominee that a lot of people have said that could have been replaced. Like, that could be somebody else. There could be Julianne Moore from May, December. But I think it's actually a really powerful performance because of how understated and subdued it is. I think there's a lot more that she does with her performance than than just the words that her character speaks. Her her face and, and her eyes is just a, a stunning performance. Uh, Thomas, what do you think? I think this category is interesting because I think there's a couple of people here who are, I think, doing the best with what they can with, I think, particularly Jodie Foster and Nyad. I mean, I love Jodie. I love seeing her back. But at the same time, it feels just kind of like, oh, we're... We're, we're just happy she's back and not as much for, like, what she's trying to do with a lesser script, quite frankly, <laughs> with Nyad. But um, I think, you know, I think Blunt's great. I think Daniel Brooks is interesting because I think that The Color Purple so frustrated me in terms of I think it alternates between being a lesser version of an already flawed Spielberg movie and a lesser version of a musical, quite frankly. It feels like it's it's trying the, – the cast is trying so hard to make it work. I think Daniel Brooks is – the highlight, I think, in particular, especially handling, like, the Oprah Winfrey role and doing it, like, making it her own and doing such a great job with it. But I think the one who's going to win, and I agree with what Mel said earlier, I think my personal pick 
is Devine Joy Randolph. I think she's in the movie a, a, a solid amount, but there is that weird kind of moment where she disappears. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you just see a few flashes of her with her sister, and it's so warm and inviting. She does such a great job of being particularly, like, in a lesser movie, she would have, like, a big oscar speech or mm-hmm. whatever. And, like, her breakdown at the party, it's, mm-hmm. I think, one of the most sincere kind of emotional breakdowns I've seen where it's just, like, her without her shoes on, just in a corner of the kitchen. And you see so much of that. You feel so much of it. While at the same time, she's very human with stuff like, oh, you don't know what the dating game is, dude? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> it is such a phenomenal performance. I've been a fan of her ever since uh, Dolomite is My Name. Mm-hmm. Where she just managed to steal that from Eddie Murphy and do such a beautiful job with it. So uh, I hope and think it will go to her. See, I only knew her from uh, Only Murders in the Building. Mm, uh, yes. It wasn't until I watched this that I was like, I did some research on her. I'm like, oh, she's a Tony winning or Tony nominated actress. Like she's a singer. And then, of course, right after I watched this, I, I watched Rustin. And she has a very brief appearance in that movie singing. So I was like, okay, she's she's quite incredible. Uh, Emily, what are you thinking? Yeah, uh, I'm very happy to see America Ferrara here, but I, I don't think it should go to her. Um, I echo everything that's previously been said, especially because I need another of her speeches, De- Devine's speeches. I don't know if you've been watching her acceptance mm-hmm. speeches, and they are the most thoughtful and appreciative, gracious, elegant um, speeches that I've ever seen. She completely deserves it for the performance, but I can't wait to watch her Oscar speech because it's going to be phenomenal. All right. Uh, Next up, actor in a supporting role. Our nominees are Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Uh, And... Emily hurt me to my core earlier because I have said since I walked out of the theater with Oppenheimer that Robert Downey Jr. has this award, that I thought his performance was absolutely stunning. I thought it was the best thing about the movie, and I liked the movie a lot. So I, I Ryan Gosling winning it would be hilarious, but also there were all those memes that came out after he got the nomination and almost nothing else did that, you know, that is the plot of the Barbie movie. So I think him winning would actually kind of maybe be a bad thing. I don't think Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things was all that phenomenal. Like, I, I liked it, but it was a caricature as opposed to any kind of in-depth character. So Robert Downey Jr. is definitely my pick. Thomas. Contrary to certain things that were said earlier about uh, one person in this category, I think this is the most rock-solid category to me in terms of I don't think there's a bad one here. Even like the Mark Ruffalo angle of it, I think he's so goddamn funny in that movie. Oh, he is. Don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying he shouldn't be nominated. I just don't (laughs) think it's a winning performance. (laughs) Right. But I mean, at the same time, like, I mean, Gosling has a similar angle with that. Even Sterling K. Brown, I think, is the best part of American fiction. I think he straddles a lot of those emotional lines and the comedic lines so perfectly. And De Niro, maybe it's just because he's been in such a rut. You know, every time it's like, oh, wait, when's he going to work with Marty again so he can be, like, good again in a movie? (laughs) Honestly, (laughs) that's kind of, like, the sad thing this recent. Uh, But I think who is going to win, and I would not, and I'm totally for winning, is Robert Downey Jr. It's so great and that dude actually gets to act again and not have, like, ping pong balls on him and just be right. like, let me put up some glasses on so I can have my suit come up and whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> bullshit he's been doing the last couple of years. I think he just does such a great job, particularly with that movie, of being, like, so initially, like, straight-laced and, you like, he's kind of, like, a recurring, like, almost a Chekhov's gun thing in the background. And then when he gets to be such a hater... 
mm-hmm. in that last third. It's oh, yeah. so good. He is so <laughs> petty in the best way. And I think one of my favorite moments of the year is just him and Alden Ehrenreich talking. And he's just like, well, you know, maybe they were thinking about something more important. And right. Downey's reaction to that, so good. Right. So great. <laughs> love it. And another guy where I, I love to see his speeches, like his SAG speech was so good, talking about his yeah. wife playing mm-hmm. the role of someone satisfied with being married to an actor, uh, for sure. I think it's it's a, it's a rare career award that I think is very deserved for Downey. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Emily. Yeah, I, I need to correct myself. If I earlier, if I said Robert Downey Jr. to be replaced, I meant Robert De Niro. No, you said De Niro. <laughs> you did. You said De Niro. I was, oh, did yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you're, you're good. <laughs> because um, I agree with everything that's previously been said as as funny and um, the, the almost cherry on the top of everything that's come from Barbie for Ryan Gosling to get it. It would potentially undermine but I also feel that it could keep the wave going in a way but the wave is sort of doing its own thing anyway so it doesn't also need this attention for Ryan to to get it again agree with everything I think it was such a joy to I hope this gives Mark Ruffalo an opportunity to break out into other roles again it's that we're just trying to rescue the Avengers at this point aren't we <laughs> and put them in like real movies for <laughs> want of a better term um but I I had heard the hype of Robert Downey Jr.'s performance in Oppenheimer and I went into the film excited to see what he had to deliver and I think it's just a testament that it, it took me a while to be like, oh, that's Robert Downey Jr. Like, I didn't... Unrecognisable. Genuine right. acting going on here. And mm-hmm. again, just very, des- as you said, it is a career award. I think it's incredibly deserving. I think, you know, there's a whole franchise that exists to the success it does because it was on his shoulders to begin with. And I think that this is part of that as an, uh, you know, that's a nod to this as well. Yeah, sorry, I'm not making any sense, but Robert Downey Jr. killed it and I think he should get the offer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're making plenty of sense. Uh, Mel, what do you think? Um, everybody is right about Robert Downey Jr. Because <laughs> here's the thing: I have, I have, and have never had any desire to be an actor uh, of any kind. But if I, if I did, those are the kinds of roles I would want to play. It, it's, and he just, he just eats it. Like he really, like, like in a good way, not in like a skateboarding way where you like fall off. Uh, uh, they always say you eat it when, uh, whenever you anyway dump out on your elbow or something. But yeah, no, he he absolutely he's electric, and I don't get to say that often. He's absolutely electric in that role. Like I I hang on his every word. Uh, anytime he comes, like he's he's kind of like Barry Keegan in that respect. Like when he comes on screen, you're just like, ooh, ooh, and like you sit up and you start paying attention because it's just like, oh, this is gonna be good. Uh, yeah, uh, he's fantastic, but and I think it will be him. But I kind of I kind of wanted to be Sterling K. Brown uh, for American Fiction. I I thought that was I thought that was such a vulnerable performance. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I, I love him. I, I've mentioned earlier in, in this recording that I loved it. Uh, and, and yeah, I, I kind of want it to be him. I, I can respect that. He he is, I agree with what was said. He he is the strongest part of that movie. Mm-hmm. So All right. Uh, that brings us to actor in a leading role. Uh, our nominees are 
for reasons unknown, Bradley Cooper in Maestro, uh, Coleman Domingo in Rustin, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers, Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction. And Thomas, we will start with you. I'll at least come slightly to a bit of defense for Maestro in terms of, I think the frustrating thing about that movie is that I think Bradley Cooper is like a solidly talented actor and a director. Like, I loved his A Star is Born. I think it's a great movie. But at the same time, I think like, I would love to see him direct a movie he's not the star of. Mm-hmm. I think that's the biggest frustration. Is I think Maestro would have been at least a slightly better movie if he was just behind the camera. Um, but I do agree that I don't think he really is. I think he's the weakest of this category, especially when you, you have someone like Rustin, which, God, I love Coleman Domingo. Mm-hmm. Amazing actor, but he's just stuck in some fucking pablum. He's trying so hard to work past that goddamn green screen in Rustin. There's, like, there's a fun, reason like, he's he... the only nominee from that movie. Oh. oh, what, not Chris Rock? I mean, so great. We loved him so much with his fucking baby powder. I'm convinced that dude, like, walked in after Glenn Turman into, like, the, the studio right before the lock closed and was just like, I'm here. You have to put me in the movie. Uh, but, uh, I mean, Domingo, like, I think is, like, he's a great actor, I think, just in such pablum um but at the same time like a solid performance from him and and jeffrey wright love him always like look ever since like ever since i can remember like you know back when the last couple of years with like stuff like the french dispatch or even earlier uh with the what's the jake gyllenhaal movie where he's like source reliving code. the stuff on the train source code he delivers such great exposition mm-hmm. in source code yeah master yeah. in it uh and I, he's one of my favorite actors i think the the two front runners though seem to be paul giamatti and killian murphy I love Giamatti. Always love him. It feels like it's good to see him in a movie again after really being in Billions Jail for the last, like, five <laughs> years or so. Uh, but uh, and he's great in The Holdovers. But at the same time, I think who will win, I think, is deserved is Murphy. If nothing else, because that dude has to, like, carry the movie on his cheekbones. And he does it wonderfully. <laughs> Those cheekbones have such sadness and edge at the same time to them. Um, and I think, yeah, he's he's incredible, very vulnerable, but at the same time can work with stuff like the way this movie does the frickin' I have become Death Destroyer of Worlds in that sex scene and still manages to work, I think is mainly because of him and his yeah. reaction to it. And Pew also trying, you know, to, to make it work as well. And I think it's, uh, yeah, I think it should go to Murphy and he deserves it. All right. Emily. Yeah, I have very extensive notes for most categories written down, and this one is literally just colon Killian. Um, he, again, completely echo everything that's been said. I, I think Paul, Paul Giamatti's performance in The Holdovers really stayed with me. It was really like comfortable performance. I think it really suited him. It was really memorable and lovely. But I left Oppenheimer and I was like, well, the Oscar is Killian Murphy's. Like, it's it's just his. It's it's almost indescribable how when you compare it to Bradley Cooper's performance where you've got two characters who are aging throughout the movie, but it's it's not cringy when Killian Murphy's doing it. You're believing it. You're his, He was so quiet and unassuming and yet like it was just so nuanced and clever and well directed and his sad big eyes <laughs> just swallow you whole and he he just he completely wipes the floor of the category i think he's absolutely deserving of it yeah um i yeah <laughs> mel it's not my turn yet so i'm just gonna say yeah <laughs> mel. Um, there there's there's not honestly there's not much more i can say uh, uh about murphy uh it's god yeah yeah 
Yeah, that's it. That's all I like. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm, so I'm is kidding. that your pick? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, truth be told, uh, I, I, I think he's fantastic at that. I, I, I kind of do wanted to. I kind of do wanted to go to Paul Giamatti though uh, for for holdovers. Uh, I, 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 I thought he, I thought he was really glorious uh, in, in that, and he just, just kind of so almost acidic <laughs> the, the, the way he like berates the students uh i, I love I'm, like who calls someone a visigoth really <laughs> I, I i again because that's again as a if i ever wanted to be an actor i would want to play the paul giamatti role in holdovers more than i would want to play the killian murphy role uh in oppenheimer i just i i just really love just just dialogue here i can sink my teeth into uh and and, and just kind of just spit it at the audience <laughs> and the other actors uh yeah and i i love that i love that he goes all in for that but yeah. it's probably gonna be murphy i i i my murphy is my pick uh and again it's it's kind of like because it's been so long since I've seen Oppenheimer, every other actor kind of started moving up there for me uh, when I watched their projects. And then, as I said, suddenly it was like, oh, yeah, that's right. No, this is Killian Murphy's to, to lose. Um, I, I really would like Jeffrey Wright to win it for the reasons that were mentioned earlier. Like, he phenomenal actor. It would be nice um, for, for him to get recognition for for what he's done. And I think he's he's really good in American fiction. I do think Sterling K. Brown is better. Um but I, I think Murphy is the, the, the clear winner here as well. All right. Actress in a leading role. The nominees are Annette Benning for Nyad, Lily Gladstone for Killers of the Flower Moon, Sandra Hewler for Anatomy of a Fall, Carrie Mulligan for Maestro, Emma Stone for Poor Things. And Emily, you are kicking us off. This is the one that everybody's like, who could it go to? Because I feel every awards up to this point has gone to a different person. And so it's it's sort of anybody's game. I loved Annette Benning in Nyad. I thought she was really fun to watch. I have a real problem with Kerry Mulligan. I don't know what it is. It's a personal thing. I don't know her. <laughs> I just don't like her. <laughs> and this feels so Oscar Beatty of a performance as well. Even with her own personal comments of being like, I never felt like an actress until Maestro, like... Emma Stone's phenomenal, and I would be happy for her to take it. Lily Gladstone is phenomenal, and I'd be happy for her to take it. And I think it would be a very good thing overall for her to take it for a number of reasons. Um, I personally want it to go to Sandra for Anatomy of a Fool. I think her performance is so complicated and nuanced. And as uh, we, we mentioned previously about the movie itself, it is... Her performance, I feel that when the credits started rolling, I turned to my mom and I was like, but did she do it though? Like, because <laughs> she could have done it, but also she's like innocent, but like she could have done it. And the next <laughs> week we were like, just going over and over and over her performance, the way she responded to things, the way she argued things, the way she chose to take those wonderfully written lines and what she did with them. And it's just such a memorable performance. Um, I think it would be really, really cool for her to take the Oscar. Okay. Mel. This to me feels like, like Usain Bolt, like Usain Bolt's the fastest man in the world. And the only person who's faster than Usain Bolt is Usain Bolt. Like he literally broke his own record right. uh, for, for land speed. I feel like this is Emma Stone's. Uh, I, I, I feel like everybody came to lose to Emma Stone, <laughs> um, which it's, I think that's such a wild performance that she literally throws her back into <laughs> like, like she's, 
I mean, it's so much. It's what, and, and yeah, like it's it's not it's not nearly as nuanced uh, a performance uh, as as Sandra Hiller's. Uh, but oh my god, I love her. She's she's she owns she owns every second she's on camera. Uh, every moment she's she's in frame. She's just all over it. And I, yeah, like I I, I still think about that movie. I, I the, the the second I saw that, the second I ended, I was just like, oh, that's hers. That that award's hers. So we'll see. Okay. I, I, I probably should have mentioned this in the last category because we had Maestro nominated there. I, I don't think Maestro is a good movie. I do think it gives good opportunities for the actors to have some shining moments with performances. I don't think Bradley Cooper is bad in the movie. I don't think the movie itself is very good. I don't think Carrie Mulligan is bad in the movie. In fact, I, I think she's probably better than Cooper is. But I, I it does it, – it is kind of – it feels like this year's – uh, pretentious Oscar Beatty type movie. I, I, Emma Stone, uh, yeah, I mean everything you just said, but I, I'm going with Lily Gladstone. Um, I, I think the 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 range of that performance, um, it, you know, the, the three and a half hours gives her to explore it, uh, is is uh, really my favorite out of these five performances, and it, I will not be disappointed to see uh, any of these women win. Uh, but I, I think Gladstone, for me, had the the strongest, uh, most dynamic performance. Thomas, I think this is a competition where it's between the two Stones. Quite frankly, they <laughs> it feels like they've been picking up a lot of the awards. Um, and I think I agree with what was been said about Emma Stone, particularly considering that movie has an interesting tightrope to walk. And I think it's mainly on the strength of her performance that it excels as well as it does, I thought, personally, for that movie. Um, like I said, the sort of Barbie for freaks angle of it <laughs> is, I think, like really like rests a lot on her shoulders uh, with what she's able to do with that. We just needed weird Barbie to show up in it to, to complete the connection. <laughs> That's true. McKinnon could have fit in, like, as the same character, and it wouldn't have Definitely. been <laughs> Yes. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I do agree with Rafe about Lily Gladstone. Nothing else, because there's been so much discourse about, like, oh, I stopwatched her entire, like, screen time in the movie, and she's not in it enough to be a lead actress or whatever bullshit mm. that I've been, like, hearing back and forth. I think the strength of that performance is that it's so good that when she's not on screen you're still thinking of her in the background of it all, mm -hmm. especially as all like the horrible actions are taking place. You're just wondering, Oh God, how is she going to, I'm so worried for her and she's not even on the screen at this point. And I think it's a real strength to her being able to do that as well as does nothing else. Because like as much as she's handling a lot of the trauma there, there's also such like great moments when like her and Leo that sell the romance, like when they're first introduced, like in the car together and, he does the whole thing like you must sit a handsome devil, and he her just reaction is like so beautiful to that. Um, I hope I think it will go to Lily Gladstone. I hope she wins it for sure. She's my pick. Good. I, I love that we've diverged again as far as our <laughs> our, our picks go. Uh, all right, that brings us to best director. Uh, our nominees are uh, Justine Trier for Anatomy of a Fall, Martin Scorsese for Killers of the Flower Moon, Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest. And Mel, you are up first. Ah, uh, do I have to go first? <laughs> <laughs> I think it's time for Nolan. I, I think this. I think this is his. Uh, I think. I think this is this is an insanely humongous undertaking multiple timelines uh and, and like multiple egos of characters vying for like like nobody like, like no like it's like every i feel like everybody could be 
the main character of Oppenheimer, uh, which which is an interesting thing to me uh, and to kind of be able to wrangle uh, all of that uh, and to also to make like deposition scenes feel like action sequences <laughs> like they feel like 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 Thomas said like uh, with the construction of the bomb it's like a, it's like a heist film like like you he has this skill for making these very kind of mechanical normally mechanical things feel like action sequences uh, like they they burst with energy uh and to pull that off uh, uh absolutely yeah yeah he's he's got my phone I think your comment about almost any character could be the main character of the movie is part of why the script was written in first person to make sure that it stayed with Robert being the the protagonist, you know, because because it could have gotten divert there. I, I will say this. Typically, traditionally, most of the time, the, the same movie that gets best director gets gets best picture. And so you kind of look at it as the movies that were nominated for best picture but didn't get a best director really are kind of the it was an honor to be nominated type thing. That said, I, I am splitting my best director, best picture vote. I, I don't think that the same movie wins both of those. And I am giving it to Christopher Nolan for Oppenheimer. I, I think you're right. He's due. Uh, I think this is an incredible movie. I've seen almost all of Nolan's films um, and, and love almost all of them except for Tenet. Uh, but I, I I think this is the pinnacle of the work he's done so far. Is it the pinnacle of his career? We don't know. We'll have to see what comes in the future. But I think if, if you're going to pick a film of his that deserves this kind of accolade, this this is it. That said, I mean, Anatomy of a Fall, Poor Things, Zone of Interest, man, any of those are really good. I do not like Killers of the Flower Moon for this nomination. I do not think it's particularly well directed. Now, when I say that, my philosophy tends to be the director is the one who is responsible for the product. And we all know that that is not always the case, that a lot of the time the director is not involved in the final cut of the film. And even though their name is the one associated with it, they didn't, they lost control along the way. Scorsese's not a director of that caliber. He is in control. And this did not need to be a three and a half hour long film. Uh, I think it's funny that he criticizes uh, superhero movies, that that's not cinema. That's not cinema. Well, Cinema needs to be a little tighter, Marty. You need to you need to learn to trim, to edit, to to bring it down. There was lots in this film that could have been cut and can, continued the same feelings. I I, I think uh, he is the weak link here. Uh, I'd be happy with any of the others to win, but but Oppenheimer, uh, Nolan is my pick. Thomas, yeah, hear that, Thelma Shoemaker, nominated editor on notice. Should <laughs> back a bit. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not blaming the editor. I am blaming, like, the editor should have locked Scorsese out of the room. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I just want to start off with, uh, you know, so much praise to, finally, deserved recognition for the virtual insanity music video director Jonathan Glaser uh, here. <laughs> and best director, amazing, uh, finally. I hope Jamiroquai is at the ceremony with his hat. True. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I mean, I, I agree that like there's a definitely I think a really solid strong lineup here. Um, I do think it's probably going to go to no one. And I think it is deserved not just because like it's sort of a culmination of so much of his work, but also he's able to juggle so many of uh, our great guys in the middle of this, just juggling like Crumholtz and Benny Safdie and Josh Peck, just a weird assortment of guys that managed to be in here. Um, but 
At the same time, I'm going to push back on the Scorsese thing because he's my personal, like, I would want him to win, if nothing else, because I think it's, this is such an interesting movie where he's done a, a couple of these now as he's gotten to near the twilight of, like, these culmination movies about, like, his career, like, Irishman was kind of that, but this feels a culmination not just for, like, his career in terms of, like, oh, so much of what he's been done, some of the gangstery stuff that's, like, hidden within this, but I think it's, like, its length, I don't think, is, like, that big of a problem to me because it feels like a totemic film about... American history, the nature of, like, voices that are being told through media, and so much that I think it's a deserved three-and-a-half-hour length. And the thing is, we're probably not going to get a lot of other, like, you know, big directors being able to do even a movie of this, like, massive length and this particular kind of subject matter anymore. And I would be so down for him to win another award, nothing else, because, like, he only won for The Departed, and I think it, I, if he's going to win for another Best Director nominee, I would want it to be Kills the Flower Moon, but I do think no one's going to win it. But I, I think it, it completely undermines that idea of giving these people a voice with that last scene where he gets so self-indulgent. And that, that really, really bothered me. I think firmly it's a, that particular moment isn't one of the last moment of the movie. It's actually the drum circle bit. I, yeah. But at the same time, I think it's a him commenting on the fact that like he's the only person that sadly is able to have the opportunity to even make this story. And he says that that final line has a lot of sadness from him. That I think really determines the fact that it's like not indulgent to me personally. But okay, fair enough. Emily, I, I ha- yeah, I had to do Killers of the Flower Moon in two parts. I'm not gonna lie. So <laughs> much um, personal shopper in between. <laughs> the way the way Scorsese intended it. Sorry, <laughs> I don't think I'm your target audience. Um, that saying, I could still completely realize i was watching a very well put together like very important very good movie um i i i think nolan will take it um i'm happy with nolan taking it i wouldn't be bummed if scorsese took it even though i would prefer if he was greta gerwig um actual pick is justine triet for anatomy of a fall again like i just i that movie really stayed with me i thought all the choices made from all of the different aspects of art were really cool and interesting and again it just ties into that overarching storytelling that we've already mentioned and I think a lot of that comes from the directing and so I think that would be really cool to go to Anatomy of a Fall for director but I'm sure it will go to Nolan and that's fine. All right that brings us to the last award the big the big one uh, which is Best Picture and our nominees are American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. Uh, And I am kicking us off in this last one. There are some really good movies. I mean, going back to what we talked about at the very beginning about elevating films, I'm looking at this list and it's like American Fiction, uh, Possibly Holdovers, uh, Past Lives, Poor Things, Zone of Interest. These are movies I never would have watched if they hadn't been nominated. I mean, maybe I would have watched Word of Mouth, but for the most part, they probably would have passed me by. Um, and, and the only one of the movies of these 10 that I regret having spent time watching is Maestro. I mean, I think it, it, it and it comes down to the script on that one. I, I feel like they glossed over elements. I felt like it, it ends up glorifying its subject matter rather than painting a complex biography of him. Uh, and I, I think that when you start with flawed material, Thomas made the comment earlier about actors doing the best they could with the flawed material they had. When you start with flawed material, your, your project can only get so good. I would love to see Oppenheimer take this because I do think it is one of the best pictures of the year. But my pick 
As I said, I was splitting it earlier. I think this needs to go to the zone of interest. And I, I, I think it is an important film. Uh, and I, 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 it doesn't have a ton of opportunity to get recognition. Uh, and I, I, think, I think this is where it gets its, its crowning achievement. That's me, Thomas. I think the only thing with Zone of Interest is that it's probably an international feature, which is interesting given it's like, it is mostly in Polish, but it's from the UK is where, who submitted right. it? Yeah. Which is interesting. Right. That right, rarely right. happens. Like a UK movie gets the international feature nominee. But um, I mean, at the same time, I think this is like a pretty solid mo- lineup with Maestro mostly being the exclusion there. Uh, and I would love for, you know, like Poor Things, Past Lives, or Killers of the Flower Moon, I think are like the three strongest ones to me. But at the same time, I think it's going to go to Oppenheimer and I don't think it's undeserved necessarily for, you know, it's kind of like a, a duel. Like, this is a great movie, but also help and save in cinema, baby. <laughs> like, Barbie also has a bit of that as well. But I think at the same time, I think it's kind of like the perfect kind of mix of, like, a movie that the Oscars would actually hold attention to. That is also just incredibly well constructed as a blockbuster, but also as, like, a deeply upsetting drama about <laughs> the nature of humanity and how we destroy ourselves. Um, so I'm down for Oppenheimer getting it, but... At the same time, yeah, it's uh, it's a lot of great competition. It is. It is. All right, Emily, now is your crowning moment to shine. <laughs> when asked about the snubs for Margot Robbie and Greta Gerwig, Helen Mirren responded with, do you remember who got Best Picture two years ago? It doesn't matter who's nominated. It's It's all up in the air and it's fine. What we did was made a lot of money and got people back to the cinemas and that's really important. And it used to be that the movie that made a lot of money in the cinemas also won all of the awards. And why not after, I know after everything we've talked about, but why not return to that for one year and make the billion dollar box office success also the best picture of the year? Because it's so important to so many people I saw it seven times in cinemas and then I immediately bought it on streaming. And I know I'm not the only person because it made a billion dollars at the box office. And does that not say something? And I I could talk forever, but like pink used to be evil and now it's good. It's Barbie. The every, It's entered the actual human language of people now greet each other by saying hi Barbie it still happens to me all the time it's it's helped the economy like Taylor Swift (laughs) I have bought things in shops because it will have the Barbie branding on it and does that not count for something and you can I I don't know I haven't fully formed my argument but it just it's so hyper feminine and it's so hyper female and it's it's so worthy in that and it it's not shallow and it's and it, it yeah obviously it's flawed because most things are but like also not really it's such a moving piece people i back when i had a boyfriend before he broke up with me i was with his parents and i was like are you going to go and see barbie and they were like no the next week the mom had gone to see barbie with her friend two weeks later i went to see barbie with the mom and the sister and then she went to see barbie a third time because it was just so big and it was so good and when i went to see it with her we walked back to a pizza express 
talking about the Barbies that we all had, like three generations of women, the Barbies that we had as kids, how we played with them, where we got them, where they are now, what we did to them, all of these things. And <laughs> I had that conversation with so many people and I had that conversation so much last year. And I feel that that counts for something and I would love to see it recognized here. And I know that that's not to say that other movies have much more lesser looked at conversations to be had and they we should be using this opportunity to shine a light on them. But I, I can't describe it. It's such an important film to me. I really, really think it, it did to cinema what Nolan thought Tenet was going to do. It brought everyone back and I just love it so much. And I really, no one's going to remember what won in the 2023 Oscars in two years time. So why not just give it to Barbie? Emily, to to to, to kind of reiterate your point, when Barbie Barbieheimer was a thing, uh, my son was adamant that he wanted to go see Oppenheimer, and I I joked about, do you want to go see Barbie? And I pointed out the trail. I loved the trailer was, if you love Barbie, this movie is for you. If you hate Barbie, this movie is for you. And mm-hmm. he did not want to go see Barbie, um, and then my schedule was busy, so it didn't matter. He ended up seeing it a week later. Like, I didn't get to see it until it, it started streaming. He saw it before I did. He didn't even want to go see it, but he saw it in the theater. So you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's it's definitely an appealing movie. Um, it has that draw. It has something about it. Also, did anyone else imagine her delivering that, Emily delivering all of that, in the weird Barbie house like America Ferreira? Just in the full, <laughs> the hand movements. <laughs> yes. It's so impossible to be a woman. <laughs> all right. Mel, I almost changed the order so you didn't have to follow that, but I did. <laughs> So now you have to follow the way. Uh, and, and you're also our, our last chance to get a, a third dig in on Tenant because, you know, good things come in three. So, uh, right. um, yeah, I don't. Oh, God, Emily, how do I follow that? Uh, okay, I think, me, I think you say Barbie should win and you just call it that. Right, right. Just depart the field and call it a win. Um, okay, let, I will ask this first. Uh, I know you didn't, Rafe, uh, because of scheduling issues, but uh, Thomas and Emily were. Were you able to do Barbenheimer? Were you able to see them both in the same day? I chose not to. Okay. <laughs> I almost did, but then just scheduling things affected my Oppenheimer, so I saw it like a couple days later. Okay. Um, I did do it. There are actually pictures of us on Facebook. <laughs> um, I We saw Barbie uh, in the afternoon uh, and came back for Oppenheimer at night. Uh, and, okay, the the vibe... The vibe in the audience for it's it was a lot of fun to compare the two. The vibe in the audience for Barbie, because uh, we got there early enough to because you want to go to something like that that people watch. Uh, like the like the people coming to see it are as interesting to me as the film itself. Uh, you knew who was walking into the theater. You knew who was coming to see Barbie. Like you like there was a whole group of kids who were dressed for prom coming to Barbie. And I love that. And the energy in that auditorium, it it was just, it was so light and joyous. And it's like the whole world came together for two hours. Uh, And it was, it's like, we just all, all these people who don't know each other sharing this thing that, that was so beautiful. And then we, then you go see Oppenheimer and Oppenheimer feels like, it feels like a bullpen at a newspaper 
in the 70s. Like, I feel like, like if smoking had been allowed, there would be smoking <laughs> in the theater. <laughs> like, it's just, it's just a lot of, a lot of large, angry men just kind of scowling and like, and, and this, like the mood, it's like, even before the film starts, the mood is so heavy just in the theater. And it's just like a lot of grumbling and like low energy, but there's a tension. There's a weird tension there that like you felt like at any moment, like a fight could break out. <laughs> it was, <laughs> it was, a it was polar opposites, two very different experiences. Uh, but I, but I think they're both valid. Um, I said all of that just to say that I don't think either of them are going to be back. <laughs> Twist. I think, I, I think it's, I think it should go to poor things. Uh, honestly, uh, I thought poor things was just, just a hail. Well, not a hail Mary because the, the movie was clearly calculated uh, to the hilt, but it was just such a swing for the fence. I mean, everybody, all in all the time for this thing. It's like Lanthimos woke up one morning and he was just like, I'm, I'm going to do some." It's like a Chris Pratt and Guardians of the Galaxy when he figured out that he could create all that stuff. And he was just like, Lanthimos woke up and said, I'm going to make some weird shit. Uh, <laughs> and he just, everybody committed to it. I, It is a perfect film for me. Say what you will about Mark Ruffalo's performance. I, just, I, I thought it was perfect. But oh, I'm sorry, Ray. If you're, don't, you're... don't don't watch it with a 14 year old teenage boy no, no. <laughs> <laughs> who desperately who desperately wanted to see it because Willem Dafoe was in it and regretted it for the next two hours. Oh my gosh! Oh my god, that's hilarious. Uh, that's that's really funny. That is that is what. That is why my mother and I don't speak anymore. Is because we went to see Bram Stoker's Dracula whenever I was a young lad, <laughs> and our relationship never recovered. True, true story. <laughs> I took a first date to that movie. <laughs> um. First of all, I'm never gonna be in in a scenario where I'm with a 14 year old boy, <laughs> so I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I I agree. I I also feel like. As awesome as Barbie is, I loved it so much. I feel like, yes, watch Barbie. Now, for the advanced course, watch <laughs> Poor Things. Uh, like, I, I feel like those two movies are like, like, they, like a companion piece. Because uh, like, like Thomas had said it earlier, like they're they're kind of approaching the same subject matter uh, from uh, different ways. But yeah, yeah, Poor Things. I, I really, I really wanted to win because like you just don't, you just don't see stuff like that often which is i guess good right because <laughs> like, it i mean it remains uh, a rarity you also don't see stuff like barbie a lot you know i feel like we're gonna start seeing more attempts at it now because right, they've greenlit like 18 other toy line pro projects uh, yeah like, like and dunham's doing a poly pocket movie or some bullshit <laughs> slinky yeah. magic eight ball like right. how how right. <laughs> and they're all going to be terrible because right. this is what Hollywood does. They see something just capture the zeitgeist and they take all the wrong lessons from it. Well, yes. it's, and, and Emily, I think, can chime in on this as well. It's like Hasbro selling a weird Barbie for 50 bucks. Like they missed the point of that scene. 
Yeah. Completely. And people forget that Barbie was such an underdog. Remember when it was a, a, a distant project with Amy Schumer attached and everyone was like writing it off immediately? And the pictures of Ryan Gosling dropped and everybody was slating them. And like nobody wanted it to win. And it was such a positive force. As you say, like the it, it was world peace. It was like Pokemon Go all over again. <laughs> like it was the closest we got to world peace. Because because this team of people split the budget and spent 50% of it on marketing and just pushed out the happiest, bestest, most positive vibes for a whole year. And the original soundtrack, everybody composed their own songs. Like, I don't feel that that happens so much anymore either. And like everything tied in and I've listened to the album and I want to get the physical media copy because I want the bloopers. I want to see the deleted scenes with Olivia Coleman. Like there's so much around it. And I'm sure these things can be attributed to other movies as well. But I don't know. They just really, they really made an event of it. They really made an event of this movie and everything about it being a movie to me. Can, can you picture poor things trying to take a similar <laughs> ad, ad approach? <laughs> It's so interesting you guys keep mentioning it as companion pieces and my brain can't like click yet. I want to I want to like circle back in like a couple of days to all three of you to like I'm going to be sending you guys an essay on my <laughs> between the two films cuz I think you guys are onto something but I also like feel like I have deeper thoughts. I I love this because for best picture we four of us have picked four different winners. The only thing the entire uh, uh, roster that we have agreed on is that Robert Downey Jr. is going to win best supporting actor. <laughs> Everything else we have been all over the field. But I I love that. I I I love that we have a wide variety of really strong films this year, as opposed to the years where you have one one thing is clearly the front runner and it's going to take everything and where's the fun in that you know mm-hmm. um so I, I appreciate you guys putting in the time to watch the movies and and discuss this that that is all our picks so let's take a moment uh to do a little of that barbie magic uh, ad campaign for yourselves we'll go in reverse order this time so mel where can people find you what do you want to promote well, you can find me on YouTube uh, at the Tangent1985 channel, uh, where we have not uploaded anything for some time, but there's still tons of great content there. Um, I am also a freelance screenwriter, so if you have a great idea for a movie, but you don't know how to write it, uh, I can do that for you. If you Bradley want to reach... Cooper, give him a call. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I'd, I'd, be, I'd love to work with him. I would I would honestly just be like, yeah, Bradley, I'll work with you, but we're only going to work on A-Team sequels. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's all I want. <laughs> um, so yes, you can find me at melglengore at gmail.com if you want to reach out to me for screenwriting work. Uh, and I'm rolling out very soon a new podcast called Don't Make Me Watch That, uh, where I spend two episodes back to back with a different guest where I force them to watch something that they have avoided for whatever reason. Uh, And then in the next episode, they will make me want something that I have avoided for whatever reason, and we will discuss. Uh, And I will be reaching out to each of the three of you in the very near future, if you are willing. I love we have, don't make me watch this, have not seen this, and why this film. (laughs) 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 We should be on the same network, but we're not. Uh, (laughs) Questioning the nature of podcasting. (laughs) Right. right. Uh, All right, Emily, uh, what do you want to promote? Where can people find you? 
Yeah, so why this film podcast is coming back very soon. We had a bit of a hiatus. Uh, we look back at the movies of your childhood um, and why you love them. And on the same channel, you will find In a Barbie World, where we are going through every Barbie movie ever made. We haven't actually spoken about the live action film yet. So uh, <laughs> hold tight, because that's going to be a four hour special. Um, you can get in touch with why this film podcast at gmail.com or find us on all podcasting platforms. Thomas. Uh, well, I have a podcast that isn't questioning anything, necessarily. <laughs> um, uh, this is a podcast I started since uh, the last time we did this here, uh, which is a Cinema to the Letter, uh, in which uh, we basically have six episode seasons that are based around our little anacronym for uh, cinema, where we have a, a C for classic, uh, an I for indie, N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical choice. We just did our one one Oscar season. Uh, where we talked about some movies that won Oscars, like Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, and Michael Clayton, Rango, just some interesting ones. Uh, we're going to be having a Godzilla season coming up soon, uh, in April, for that as well. And yes. uh, I also, yeah, we do also uh, a Patreon, uh, Cinema to the Letter, uh, Cinema Number 2 Letter, which is also, you know, all of our socials are there. Um, under that particular name and uh, for the Patreon for one dollar you get access to like bonus stuff like we had our own Oscars the Letters of Cinematic Excellence Awards or the Los Awards uh, that myself and my co-host Brian did um, and uh, yeah, you also get like we'll have a big Oscar YouTube rabbit hole coming up soon and our March Madness will be coming out in which we're gonna declare what the best movie monster of all time is uh, all sorts of fun stuff over there for just the dollar and uh, I'm also at Not The Who's Tommy in various places. All right. And uh, I'm Rafe Telsh. You can find me at Never Say Die podcast, which is more frequently updated. Uh, and that's where me and my partner Drew talk about movies and how to gamify them for your role playing game table. Uh, this podcast, Have Not Seen This, uh, has been on uh, hiatus for a while while I dealt with some health issues. And now it's trying to deal with scheduling issues. I, I'm trying to figure out if this channel is coming back or not. We'll, we'll, we'll figure that out in the long run. Uh, and I'm at Talon Hess, T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S on social media. I'm hanging out mostly on threads the, these days. Uh, my, my Twitter accounts are still there, but I'm not, I'm not checking it. The only, the, the only no. time in the last six months I've checked it is when Emily and I were discussing doing this. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you guys. Really appreciate it. Hope everybody enjoys the actual Oscars night and, uh, may all your picks come true except for you know the ones that, that mine were different from <laughs> <laughs>